Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have of being here this afternoon. We thank you, Father, that we can come and worship you. Thank you that we'd have some uh, fellowship together this afternoon uh, over lunch, and we could also go out and do the leaflet drop. We thank you, Father God, uh, for that. We do pray that, Lord, people taking the leaflets would uh, read them. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you convict some hearts, Father, if they need the Saviour. We pray, Father, that you bless this afternoon as we join together now in this, your word. May you be praised, may you be honoured, may you be lifted up as we study together this precious word. And we do pray that you give wisdom this afternoon as we study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, revealed the depth of his burden for his people, the nation of Israel. And we've been reminded that Israel was a nation greatly blessed of God. Yet despite that blessing that God had poured upon them, the nation of Israel in general failed God. And in general, they failed so badly that when the Messiah appeared, they missed his coming. And so much so that they rejected their very Messiah. He which had been promised to them since the Garden of Eden. No one knew this better than Paul because in his early days he had persecuted the church. And now in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 13, Paul begins this section by asking a question. The question is, basically, does Israel's failure mean that God's word has failed? Does Israel's failure mean that God's word has failed? And that's his point in verse 6. He says, not as though the word of God had taken of non-effect. Has God's word failed? Because Israel has failed God. And the answer is found in the verses 6 to 13. And here we have explained to us that Israel's unbelief has no reflection on God's inability to keep his word. Just because Israel failed God doesn't mean that God failed Israel. And so in Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 13, we find explained emphatically for us, first of all, that God's word has not failed. That's part A of verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken non-effect. As we read this section, we get the impression that the apostle's thinking of someone looking at Israel and making a comment, something along the lines of this, that God's word didn't come through for them. He didn't fulfill his promise for them because they missed their Messiah and now seemed curse. How do I know that you will come through for me? Can we trust God? God made promises to Israel. Those promises don't seem to be fulfilled in Israel. Therefore, can God be trusted? Well, that's basically what is going to be answered here in verses 6 through 13. The answer to the question, or, or the, Paul answered the question by asserting that it's not the word of God that has not taken effect. That's his comment there. Not as though the word of God not taken effect, of not effect. It's not that God's word is ineffective. It's not that God's word is not truthful. It's not that God's word cannot be trusted. 
No matter what men may say, no matter what men may think, God is faithful. The Old Testament promises are not set aside. God will fulfill the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. God will fulfill his promises to his people. The truth is that God has not rejected Israel, but Israel as a nation has rejected God. The problem here lies fairly and squarely at the feet of Israel, not at the feet of God. God's not the problem in this scenario. God made the promises. God will fulfill his promises. The problem is that Israel is in unbelief right now. They have failed their God. Now, this is not a case of disgrace for God. He offered salvation to the nation, and they rejected him. God's word is clear on this matter, that salvation is for all people. And salvation is offered to all, and all who will believe will be saved. And it was offered to the Jews first. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and salvation of the Jew first, and also the Greek. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. And commence to read in verse 11, Ephesians 2, 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in the time past Gentiles in flesh, who are, all, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes we're far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make it himself between one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Here in Ephesians it's made clear to us that the gospel went to Israel. They were the recipients of the covenants of promise. And that the Gentiles were outside of that, but only could be partakers of that through faith. And God broke down that middle wall of petition with sending of Jesus Christ, establishing the church, and now both are one body. So now both Gentile and Jew are partakers of that same salvation. Salvation is offered to all who will receive it. It's no disgrace to God if people don't get saved. Second Peter 3.9 tells us God is not willing that any should perish. The passion of God, the desire of God, the will of God is that all men will be saved. The fact that some are not saved is not God's problem, not God's fault. God wants all men to be saved. God sent his son as he promised. And Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day 
just as he promised, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, that the gospel is this very truth that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins according to the scriptures and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ died that we might have salvation. God has done his part. God did everything was necessary for mankind to be saved. God has made it possible for all to be saved. There is nobody who stands outside the bounds of God's grace. There's nobody who stands outside the bounds of God's mercy. There's no one who stands outside the bounds of God's love. All mankind can be saved. Jesus Christ died so that all could be reconciled unto God. God's done everything necessary for our salvation. God has done his part as far as the nation of Israel is concerned. And the failure is not God's. The failure is mankind's. The failure is Israel's. If people are not saved, if Israel reject their God, the failure is on mankind, not upon God. To illustrate it, a man may save up and pay all the university fees for his son or daughter and make all the arrangements for them to go to university. And then that child decides not to go. You can't say that it's the father's fault if that child is uneducated or that the father didn't keep his word to educate that child. The father did everything that was necessary for that child to be educated, for that child to go off to university. The father had saved up the money, paid for all the fees, made it possible for the child to go, but the child decides not to go. The fault, the failure is on the child, not upon the father. In the same way, Israel cannot charge God with unfaithfulness. It's their own fault. That's what he says here. Not as though the word of God hath taken on effect. And the same is true today for anyone who goes to hell. They will go to hell without excuse. For God has done all that he can to save mankind save forcing them to be saved. But God's done everything necessary to save us. No one can accuse God of unfaithfulness. If they end up in the lake of fire and have to spend eternity separated from God, nobody, nobody's going to be able to accuse God of unfaithfulness. God did not fail them. They simply failed to accept his offer of salvation. God's word did not fail Israel. Israel failed their God. So secondly, we find that God's word is being fulfilled. Not only did God's word not fail, but God's word is being fulfilled in verse 6b through 13. Now we may think that God's word has failed, but here in Romans chapter 9, verse 6 to 13, we're told that God's promises are being fulfilled in some Jews. In true Israel. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They're not all Israel which are of Israel. Now to understand this, we need to understand that one of the meanings of the name Israel means governed by God. And what this verse is saying, it's saying this, that not all Israel is 
really or literally governed by God. God's word did not fail Israel. Instead, they're not governed by God who are of Israel. In other words, what he's saying is this. Not all Jews are saved. God's word is true. God will be faithful. God will keep his promises to the nation of Israel, but only to true Israel, not to all Jews in general. Now, to illustrate this and to explain what it means by this, two groups of people are cited for us, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. First of all, Abraham and Isaac. In verse 6 again, it says, For they not all Israel, which are of Israel. It states that mere physical identity and relationship are not enough. Not everyone who says that not everyone is a Jew is genuine Israel. And just because a person is born a Jew doesn't make them automatically a true Jew. Look in verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In other words, God's promises that he made to the nation of Israel were not made on the base of natural descent from Abraham. The promises that God made in Abraham, he made to true Israel, which is found inside natural Israel. So the nation of Israel exists, but not every Jew is part of the blessing. Not every Jew will receive the promises that God gave to them. It was the true Israel within the nation of Israel that receives the blessing. It's believing Israel. The Jews who by faith believe in their God. The Jews who by faith walk with their God. The Jews who by faith were saved, they're the ones who are the recipients of God's blessing. This fact is borne out in Abraham's seed in verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall their seed be called. God said he would bless Abraham's seed. Isn't that what he promised him in Genesis 12 when he called him out of the earth of the Chaldees? He promised him that his seed would be a blessing and that his seed would be as the sand of the sea and the stars of heaven and ultimately, out of his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham. Yet that promise is limited to Isaac, not Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is Abraham's seed. Isaac is Abraham's seed. But the promise of God to Abraham in that all his, the nations will be blessed because of Abraham's seed, is restricted to Isaac, not Ishmael. Ishmael was left out. And you and I could go back to Genesis 21. We're not going to. Pastor spent a long time preaching and all this for us, so I don't need to go back there. But we know the story. We know that Abraham and 
and Sarah thought they were never going to have a child. So then uh, they have Abraham has a child by Hagar, Ishmael, which then caused resentment in the family. And ultimately, we find that uh, Sarah has Abraham kick uh, Hagar and Ishmael out, and, and there's a rift. But that's what, and then God makes it clear that the promises of the seed are through Isaac, particularly in Genesis 21. He explains all that to us. So as we come to Romans chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, we read this. That is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Now these two verses point out to us that merely being the descendant of Abraham saves no one. Just because Ishmael was the son of Abraham doesn't mean that Ishmael is the recipient of the blessings. It's not being children of the flesh that works something before God, but only being children of promise. Notice what it says in verse 8 again. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And the children of promise are the children who come through Sarah, who shall have a son. Verse 9 here gives to us an example. Ishmael was just as much the son of Abraham as Isaac was, but Ishmael was a son according to the flesh. Isaac was a son according to the promise. Now what it says, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. One was the heir, of God's covenant of salvation, and the other was not. So natural Israel is not true Israel. Being born a Jew doesn't make you a true Jew worthy of all the kingdom blessings. Only those who are partakers of the promise by faith in God are true Israel. Paul's making a distinction here so we understand that God's not failed his promises to true Israel. Sure, Israel's in unbelief right now. But there is a day coming when the nation of Israel will receive their Messiah as they ought to, and they will then receive the blessings that God promised through Abraham. But right now, Israel is in unbelief. And just because they're a child of Abraham does not make them heirs of the promise. It's true today. You know, not everyone that lives in Australia is an Australian. Not everyone who fulfills a role within a church is necessarily part of that church. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is necessarily a Christian. Not all those who are born into Christian families are born again. So it is with Israel. Just because they're born a Jew doesn't make them a true Jew. Go back with me to Matthew 7, please. Matthew 7. And verse 21. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Not everyone who calls him Lord, Lord is saved. Just because somebody is a Jew, Paul says, does not make them a true Israelite, does not make them a true born-again recipients of the promise. Now, we can draw an application here for us today. You know, just because somebody attends church or just because they're born into a Christian family doesn't make you saved, doesn't make you on your way to heaven. That's why it's important that we pray for our children, that they themselves come to the place where they acknowledge their own need of the Savior and that they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ themselves. Because just being brought up in a Christian home doesn't make them a born-again believer. What they need is by faith to believe in Jesus themselves. That's what makes them the, the heirs of salvation. That's what makes them joined heirs with Christ. That's what makes them the recipients of eternal life. That's what gives unto them a home in heaven. It's by their personal faith in Jesus Christ. Not because they just belong to the family that's saved. Now, a second group of people illustrate the difference between true Israel and natural Israel. That's Jacob and Esau. Verse 10. Not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now in Romans chapter 9 and verse 10, we are introduced to Rebekah and Isaac. And we see in Rebekah God's divine choice at work. And it makes this matter of true and natural Israel much more pointed. He kind of brings us down now to an understanding of what God means by natural and true Israel. Now in this case the case of Isaac and Rebekah, there is, uh, and the children, Jacob and Esau, there is one father and one mother. Of course, in Abraham and Sarah and Abraham and Hagar, there was one father, two mothers, giving us two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But in this case, there's one father, one mother, there's Isaac and Rebekah, and they give us two sons, Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob. But not both of their sons were the seed of promise. God's choice between Ishmael and Isaac seems somewhat logical, doesn't it? When you think about it, you know, Ishmael was of Hagar and Isaac was of Sarah and the logic of Sarah's line being the seed of promise makes sense because God had said that was his promise to Abraham, that Abraham and Sarah would have a son and that son would be the heir of promise. And it's logical to think, therefore, that the son born to Hagar 
is not the seed of promise. That seems somewhat logical to us. But it's a lot harder to understand God's choice of Jacob to be the heir of God's covenant of salvation instead of Esau when you just look at two sons. They were born to the same father, the same mother. Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger. Two sons. We might not understand it as easily, but God's choice is just as valid. And so we read in verse 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Verse 11, God chose Jacob before he was born. Now you note here that the choice was not based upon works or anything else, neither having done, not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. It was not based upon character. It was not based upon good or evil. It was not based upon works. God just chose them of his own will. It's not of works. In fact, instead, the reason for choosing was found According to this verse, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was the choosing of this was based upon him that calleth. God chose Jacob, not based upon works, not based upon character, but simply because God chose one above the other. Now, we do have to understand here that election in this passage has nothing to do with salvation. Okay? The election here is unto an inheritance. Okay? God chose Jacob to be the recipient of the inheritance. We know that. That's what the whole issue of that story was that we've been looking at with Pastor. The whole issue of the conflict in the family and, and that arose with the deception of, of making sure that Jacob got the blessing is all about inheritance. God had promised that the younger would be the one who's the recipient of the blessing, that the elder would serve the younger, the younger would be the recipient of the blessing, and the inheritance would therefore go to Jacob, not to Esau, and that choice of God was made not upon the fact of what they did, not based upon righteousness or unrighteousness, but, uh, not based upon works, but simply because God decided that he would choose Jacob instead of Esau. God chose who would bear the seed of the line of Messiah, and in this case it was Jacob. Now this choice of Jacob was not according to tradition, not according to works, but it was of him who calls. It was God's choice. Esau couldn't claim the right as his own. He had no claim to it. Just as God chose how we are to be saved, he said, in order for you and I to get saved, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God chose the methodology by which he would save you and I. God said, I will save all who will believe. And in the same way, it's he who makes that decision. It's he who 
calls us to salvation and he saves all who believe and you and I can't get to heaven by any other way. It's the same principle. God chose Jacob and Esau could not usurp the authority of God and take the role of Jacob because God had said, Jacob is the one I have chosen. The same is true for you and I. The only means of salvation is God's way. God said, I choose to save all who will believe. And when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we're saved, we are the elect, we are the chosen of God. All those who reject Jesus Christ, their Savior, are unsaved, and they're lost and die on the way to hell, and they're not his children. But that is not because God, some arbitrarily way of, of making decisions based upon the fact that God says, I will save whosoever believes. And you can't get to heaven by any other way. And that's the point here that he's making here, that God made a decision. God chose Jacob, and Esau could not usurp that decision. And so in verse 12 we read, It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. He quotes from Genesis 25, 23. God said this to Rebekah before the birth of the twins. This was a statement of fact. The elder will serve the younger. Now while this is talking about the men, Jacob and Esau, it also speaks of the nations that would come from them. And we saw this in Genesis 27. The pastor as well. Okay, the Edomites, the Israelites... Okay, the two nations that grew out of these two sons, Esau and, and Jacob, the Israelites and the Edomites who are continually were at war with each other. And this was a prophecy about what would happen to not only Jacob and Esau, but to their descendants. The descendants of Esau would serve the descendants of Jacob. And what we're reminded here is that God chose only one brother, as a child of promise. And it was God who engineered Jacob would receive Isaac's blessing. Now we know from what Pastor has been teaching us, we know in Genesis that Isaac's preference was Esau. Because of his outward appearance, because he was manly, and because he wanted Esau to have the blessing, because Esau was the firstborn, Isaac had a preference for Esau. And yet God had chosen Jacob to get the blessing. And nothing that Isaac could do, nothing that Esau could do, indeed nothing that Rebekah and Jacob could do, would have altered that fact of who got the blessing. This was God's desire. This was God's plan. No one could take the blessing from Jacob because God had decided that Jacob would get the blessing. God had already made his choice. He'd already chosen Jacob according to his purposes in this matter of election to an inheritance. The point is, no one is automatically included as a child of God, a partaker of the promise, by mere physical inheritance. It's not true of Abraham's seed. It's not true of Isaac's seed, the children of Abraham and the children of Isaac don't automatically become children 
of promise. Now, all this is given to illustrate to you and I that God has done it before. That what's happening now to Israel, okay, God's turned from Israel to the Gentiles. The gospel has gone forth to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, by and far, are the one getting saved. Some Jews are getting saved and being part of the church. But in general, the nation of Israel is still unbelief. They still have rejected their Messiah. And it seems like God's promise to Israel are never going to be fulfilled. And the Amelianists will tell us that all the blessings that were promised to Israel are now going to be given to the church. But Romans chapter 9 through 11 is given to debunk that theory, to teach us that God has not finished yet with Israel. And he will indeed bless true Israel. But what we need to understand is that not all of Abraham's seed is true Israel. Not all of Jacob's seed is true Israel. Of Isaac's seed is true Israel. God has set a precedent. They're not all the children of God. Only those who believe in God are the children of promise. Believing Jews are the children of promise. The point of all this is this. If God only chooses those who have believed to be true Israel, that is his prerogative. God has every right to decide what he wants. This is what Paul's trying to spell out here. Okay? God has every right to say that Isaac will be the promised seed, not Ishmael. God has every right to say that. God has every right to say that the, younger shall, the older shall serve the younger and that the blessings will go to Jacob, not to Esau. God has every right to do that. That's God's prerogative. That's God's choice. God is God. He can do whatever God wants to do. And you cannot accuse God of being unjust and unfair when God does what he does. And today, God has chosen, in your, where we live today, we has chosen that through the church, men will be saved, that the nation of Israel and the Gentiles will be made into one body through faith in Jesus Christ. And one day, God will fulfill his promises and blessings to true Israel. God has made a decision that only those who believe in him, the only believing Jews will be recipients of the blessings, and that's God's prerogative. If God chooses that only those who believe will be true Israel, that's his prerogative. He's not bound by tradition. He's not bound by what men think is fair or not. The key is faith, faith in Christ. Go with me to Romans chapter 10, please. And verse 8, because as he goes on through Romans 9, 10, 11, he keeps this theme going. In Romans 10, 8, he says this, For what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is man of salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him 
shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whoso shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is in the context of this whole discourse on Israel. Chapters 9, 10, 11. And the Lord makes it clear that what makes true Israel is faith in Jesus Christ. Just as what makes its true believer. What makes you and I a Christian is not what home we're born in, not what church we attend, but whether we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's faith in him. Whoso is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the nation of Israel today, whoso is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back in Old Testament times, it was whoso is called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. True Israel is believing Israel. The source of salvation is God alone. And even today, God has chosen to save all who believe in Christ. You see, he saves not on the basis of who or what we are, but on the basis of grace. Just as God made a choice as to who would be the seed of Abraham through which the blessing would come, and God made a choice as who the seed of Isaac would be through where the blessing would come, God has made a choice of how you and I can be saved. God chose to save all those who believe in Christ. God chose to save us by grace. Now, God could have decided to save us by any other means. But God chose the means by which you and I will get saved is faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of grace through faith. That's God's choice. That's God's prerogative. Natural descent doesn't make a true Jew or a true Christian. Because God is the one who makes the true Jew and the one who makes the true Christian. And we are only true Christians and they are only true Jews because of their faith in God. So you see, God's world does not, world does not fail. Israel. Israel has failed their God. If Israel believed in God, God would fulfill the promises of his word to Israel. The problem here is not God. God's word is not incapable of being fulfilled. God's promises are not invalid. God's truth can be trusted. Just because today we don't see God's hand of blessing upon Israel the way that he promised them to be blessed under Abraham is not because God failed but, or God's word failed. It's because Israel is in unbelief. And only true spiritual Israel will receive the blessings, receive the promise. And one day... When Jesus Christ comes back from heaven's glory and stands upon the Mount of Olives and ushers in the millennial kingdom in that day when Israel is brought to their knees during the tribulation. And remember, tribulation of the 70th week of Daniel's primary purpose is to bring Israel to a place where they cry unto God, acknowledge their Messiah, 
and when they do, Jesus Christ will come again. He'll stand upon the Mount of Olives and they will look upon him whom they have pierced. And he at that time will welcome believing Israel into the millennial kingdom. And at that moment, they will receive all the promises of Abraham, God made to Abraham. They will have the land from the river Egypt to the river Euphrates and everything that promised to them, the land and everything else God made to Israel will come to pass when believing Israel enters the land. But right now Israel is in unbelief. God has not failed. God's word has not failed. Israel has failed. The same is true for mankind. Mankind is unsaved today not because God has failed, not because God's word has failed, but because mankind has rejected God. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, but that all men believe. If they would believe, he would save them. Whosoever will may come. You know, Israel turned from God, believing that natural birth was enough for salvation. And that's foolish, for salvation comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Neither is the salvation any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by whom we must be saved. Acts 4.12. In verse 13 of this chapter, chapter 9 says this, As is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The idea here is that Jacob's descendants turned to God, so he loved them. Esau's descendants turned from God, so he hated them. And today, God will pour out his wrath on those who do not believe. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Please, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according of his own will. Sorry, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which of the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The truth is we can't. If mankind neglects the gift of salvation, mankind will be lost. And the failure will not be God's. No one will be able to accuse God of failing them, of letting them down, because the failure will be of mankind's, because they rejected the sweet gift of salvation by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Paul has now vindicated God, not that God needed vindication. God has not failed Israel. Israel has failed God. And God will keep his promises to believing Israel. Just as God keeps his promises to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. You know, God has chosen to save all those who've placed their faith and trust in Christ. And I trust today that you've received Christ by faith because if you have, then you're the recipient of his blessings. 
But if you don't, and you spend eternity separated from God, it won't be God's failure. It'll be your own. He's ready to save or will believe. Just as he's ready to bless all true Israel who will believe. And we can praise God that we have a God who keeps his promises. In Romans chapter 9, he's going to go on. He's going to go over this turf a little bit more detail to make us understand it and uh, to take us through understanding what salvation is all about, what it means to be a saved Jew in this context, but with application to you and I. I trust God will bless us. We consider to understand that God keeps his word. God doesn't fail. We just fail God so often by not believing what he says in his word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this afternoon for this, your word. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to comprehend it. Lord God, that it would uh, help us to um, understand your word. It's always hard, Father God, on a Sunday afternoon when we've had lunch and trying to sit and concentrate. I do pray that, Father, as we meditate upon these truths, that we might truly be thankful that we have a God who keeps his word, keeps his promises, and that the failure to see you fulfill your word and fulfill your truth is not yours. Your word is not incapable of seeing promises come to pass. The failure so often is ours. We just don't believe. So, Father, help us to trust you, to believe in you, that we might see your promises come to pass day by day. Continue to pray for the nation of Israel. Ask the Father God you'd open their eyes that they might see that they need the Savior. Because we know what a glorious day it will be when Israel calls out for their Messiah. And Lord God, we look forward to that day when we will come back with him to stand upon the Mount of Olives. And we look forward to the day, Father God, when the trump will sound and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And what a day that will be. And we just pray that you bless now and commend your word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.